Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family... Look for delicious Kroger brand products because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Cash rules everything around me. Cream. That's what today's episode is about. Yeah, cream and sugar. Or stevia, whatever whatever works for you. Yeah, you know, like, could a Fight Club-esque scenario really take place? Uh, those who know, know. Uh, no spoilers for a 20-year-old movie. But, yeah, is it possible for an individual or a group, whether in a terrorist act or an act of, uh, of, of rebellion, literally erase the world's debt or even a sector of the world's, a country's debt? Yeah, this is an issue. Uh, the idea of intu- institutionalized debt is very, very old. It's as old as human civilization. It's launched wars. It's been the condition for ending wars. Uh, it exists even in things like uh, the effect of student loan debt on millions of people in the United States and abroad. The question is, you know, how much debt exists? And could someone really, especially in the world of digital money, could they just push a button? Zero it out. Call a big mulligan on the on the whole dog and pony show. No jokes on you guys. Jokes on you guys because without debt there is no economy. Debt is the thing that makes the economy. Oh, let's learn about it. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now, or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. 
I'm Ben, you're you, and if you are one of the people who happens to live in the United States and you're an average household, then you have around $130,922 in debt, and of that, $15,762 can be attributed to credit cards. Holy mackerel. Yeah, we're starting off on a positive note today, my friends. You know what? I think, again, this is the second time I've been slightly below average. Yeehaw. Same, you know, but yeah. it's, it doesn't feel great. <laughs> oh, wait, no. I am way above average. I bought oh, a house. you got to count the house. Are we counting oh, the house? The house no. counts? Uh, if you count a mortgage. That's yeah. interesting. Oh, yeah. gosh. Okay, well, then I'm well above average then. But I, but doesn't the mortgage kind of count as, as an investment? I mean, it, it depreciates over time, so it's not quite the same as being in debt. But I guess it's looked at that way by creditors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It feels that way now, now that I'm thinking about it. And, uh, you know, the reason that there's so much debt has been uh, talked about at length for a long time by so many people. We often, we being the majority of the public across the globe, we often don't have the best or most sophisticated understanding of what this is. And that's why... A, we as a species become embroiled in these strange situations sometimes when all of a sudden, like consider the great depression, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, People are starving in the cities, right? But in the rural Midwest, in the farming country, farmers are throwing milk away and just gutting pigs and saving what they can because the price on those animals and that, you know, that mm-hmm. that beverage, I guess, uh, has tanked. Some feels weird about calling milk a beverage, but you see what I'm saying? Yes. Like that's, and, and then the reason people would come to find that folks were starving in one place while people were uh, trashing resources in another was due to something called the economy, right? What? And, right, and then people would say, people would, uh, the pundits would be on the radio, the populist, the nationalists, the whomevers would be on the radio arguing why they alone understood uh, the one true economy or what that thing should be. And now we're in a world where I guess I want to start off with a question. So did you guys have economics classes in high school or in middle school? I did, but I felt like I feel like it was rolled into something else. Or it was like we got half an economics class and then like the other half was, was civics or something like that, you know? But my memory mm. of those days is a little hazy. Maybe I, that's, yeah. maybe that's made up. <laughs> I, I got home ec. Yeah, I took home ec. Not the same thing. Uh, no, I mean, it was. Home yeah, ec because is like it was, personal finance. It was personal finance. I thought home ec was like cake. sewing and stuff. It was all, it was all that kind of stuff. Oh, like how okay. to, how to manage your, your stuff. But it didn't teach you how the Fed worked. No. No. And like how to how to write a check effectively, right? One of the things that I always think about is, you know, you're right, Matt. For many people, at least in this country, the closest thing people are offered to a personal finance class in a public school is going to be home economics. Mm-hmm. However, the individual person would probably be in a much better position today if personal finance classes were mandatory. Sure, and I know people don't like. Big Brother federal mandates, but that's an individual 
education that is that is necessary to survive a lot of people don't get that and that's why we end up in a country where uh, the total debt owed by US consumers I can break it down please oh yeah I'm here all right uh let's see now it's time for a breakdown <laughs> right oh gosh yeah it's the most depressing one uh do we have a backbeat for this oh yeah okay so credit cards $733 billion. Pales in comparison, of course, to auto loans. $1.08 trillion. And then we have student loans. $1.23 trillion. And finally, mortgages. $8.25 trillion. Whoa. So all of the, these numbers, these massive numbers, this is debt. Um, it's money that I guess needs to be paid. What, what is debt exactly? It's called American dream dollars. Oh, mm-hmm. as in imaginary dollars. Ooh. <laughs> Which is see this episode today we are talking about that and that I'm I'm laughing because Noel what you just said ties into so many other episodes we could do mm-hmm. it, it hit us in our the course of our research before we went on the air this week that currency itself is just a, a fascinating weird thing it's an agreement we make <laughs> it totally is it's like it could be shells you know yeah Luka shells or 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 a handful of sand. When you were a kid, did you ever play the game where you just all agreed that the floor was lava? Yeah. It's like that, but with prizes and you can move the floor from under people. Whoa. I know that's, that's a very biased thing, but well, yeah, what is, what is debt? Uh, that, that's the question we start with today, even though it's not our ultimate question. So the, the good, the bad, the ugly of debt. Well, uh, it does do some. Oh, nice. Copyright. (laughs) Was that Ennio Morricone? Of course. Oh, man. He's the master. My favorite soundtrack. I'm going to go listen to that for the rest of the weekend. But uh, the good part about that, and there are good parts, is that it sort of makes the world go round. What are some of the good things that this debt system does? So in the most basic of terms... Debt is, it's, it's an IOU. I mean, it's without going into the entire history of currency and money as we know it. One time they used peppercorns. Peppercorns sure. were currency. Well, that's got a function. It makes your food nice and spicy. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, many forms of currency were redeemable IOUs. I mean, and that is essentially what currency boils down to is a redeemable IOU for a good or service. Either physically, they contain some sort of valuable material, a metal, gem, what have you, mm. puka shell, mm. whatever, um, or they were redeemable for the same amount of a a different material. Okay, yeah. So, like, uh, an example for folks in the U.S., and I know our numbers are pretty U.S.-centric at this point, but we can get bigger. Uh, in the U.S., there were these things called silver certificates, which uh, fans of certain JFK assassination theories will be familiar with. And until 1964, these silver certificates legally could be redeemed for the amount of silver that was mentioned on the currency. And then they stopped. Yep. 
But the reason, the reason why money, why currency is so important to the functioning of society is that all the goods and services that are available for trading in some way or another, they get boiled down to this common denominator where you have X amount of this mm-hmm. and I want to give you this. Uh, I have X amount of this, want to give you this. We can trade with this one thing rather than having to break down exactly how much uh, a goat is worth in terms of wheat or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, a car in terms puka of shelves. Yeah. Or puka T-shirts shelves. or something strange. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know why I'm hung up on puka shelves. Today. I think, I think, uh, you know, maybe you could bring it back. I think it's because I went to that widespread panic concert last night <laughs> and, and saw a lot of those. Yeah. Uh huh. I, uh, I got a text from you at 3 a.m. was just an animated gif of a puka shell. Dancing furiously. <laughs> Dancing furiously. But what about liquidity? That's interesting and very, very, very important component of all this. Yeah, that's what you you know. That's that's what we're talking about to a degree is that that advantage of this this stand in. So I I love what you said earlier, Noel. With you know the idea that money is essentially debt. It's currency we carry around mm-hmm. is is a debt. It's an IOU. That was that was the way you said it. And the reason it works currently is one because everybody agrees that it should and. Two, or virtually everybody agrees, most people agree. And two, uh, the liquidity it offers is so vastly superior to the bartering system for the following thing. Okay, so let's say Matt has, uh, Matt is selling, what kind of car are you selling, Matt? Uh, Kuntosh. <laughs> Matt is finally selling his Kuntosh. It's not a real car. Yeah, it is. It is. It's it a is. Lamborghini. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Clearly, I'm not a car guy. But Matt, Matt is selling his Kuntosh, and Noel, you decide you're going to be a car guy. And uh, because money doesn't exist, you are going to break into your puka shell savings. But the problem is that you don't live in the same town. Ah. So you have to move this thing, and then you have to also... Let's say it's a lot of puka shells. How many puka shells do you think you would? Oh, that's a lot. I'm gonna say a billion, couple trillion. Yeah, okay. Couple trillion. Okay. So too many for Noel to comfortably carry, mm-hmm. right? You can't. You'd lose so much. You'd lose so much shell just getting the shells there. So I guess what I have to do is find some sort of financial institution that will take my puka shells from me. Mm-hmm. Put them in some sort of puka shell storage facility and then give me the equivalent in, let's call them internet monies yeah. that can then be wired or transferred or moved around electronically. Bitconk. Sure. Bitconk. That's great. Oh, man. Oh, wow. You're killing it today, buddy. <laughs> and then I can send that over the interwebs to the place where I want to pay to for me, this, to Matt. In my banking yeah. institution. Right. Which and only stores Kuntashes. <laughs> right. That's Matt's currency. And then there, there, therein you have a very rudimentary, absurdist uh, representation <laughs> of the way business is uh, done these days. Right. And one of the most important parts there is that Noel in this situation will then have a representative, a representative token essentially of a value or an asset that he possesses. So, in theory, this promotes stability in trade, and in theory, when nations are involved in mutually beneficial trade agreements, there's more stability in the world, allegedly. Yes. <laughs> mutually beneficial. Yes. I'm just going to 
repeat wor- words from that earlier sentence, theoretically. So these money systems and these debts ultimately, because that's what they are, they can, they can be great for society and help them function and, and, uh, work better together. The problem is they can also wreak massive, disastrous, sometimes even, uh, fatal things upon society and individual people. Yeah. You've, you may have at some point in your life met someone who, uh, referred to folks who have a nine to five job as wage slaves. That's pretty biased, but the heart of that argument harkens back to the idea of indentured servitude. So indentured servitude would be some deal. Um, the first one that springs to mind is people who wanted to travel to a different country, right? Mm-hmm. But could not afford the trip. The cost of, let's say, hopping a boat across the Atlantic. Sure. But if you agree to essentially work only for room and board for seven years, then they will consider your debt paid if they're not playing a crooked game. Yep. Right. And many of those games are crooked. So the argument there would be that wage sl- slaves, as the term goes, are a new form of indentured servitude. Uh, we're addicted to an IV of money, whether that's hourly salary or commission. And we're addicted to that because we're less of a, value generator as an individual, if we're that person, and more of a node for debt and assets to interact. So you that's why people can make a hundred thousand dollars a year or who knows who knows how high this goes, a million dollars a year and still be just getting by due to due to crippling debt. And then of course that ties into, you know, a similar argument would be forced labor. And we can save debtor prison for another show because is that still a thing? I it's, it's making somewhere, a comeback in some yeah. places. Yeah, wait. Uh, I thought it had been here for years. <laughs> oh, but it's making a comeback with interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, here in the U.S., Matt, is that true? Uh, well, yeah, it's not necessarily the same equivalent, right? A debtor prison where. I owe debts. I can't pay them. Now I have to go live in this cell. Uh, Actually, there's I just uh, hit a story. I typed in on Google and mm-hmm. it, one of the instant results was debtor prisons are back. Top hit from 14 mm-hmm. is Supreme Court ruling not enough to prevent debtors prison. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you can if you have massive amounts of debt, you can go to prison for it in certain instances. I thought that I th- think a lot of the stories, too, that popped up recently as in the last few years, occurred because there were um, usurious court fees, legal fees. And when people could not, pay, could not pay those fees, they would be incarcerated until such time as those fees were paid, which is surreal. Yeah. And How do you make money when you're hanging out in a prison all day long, every day? Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. 
Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. What kind of fun is waiting for you at Kings Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at Kings Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun season. Kings Island is now open on weekends. And then, of course, that brings us to bankruptcy, which, uh, unfortunately... The golden parachute. The golden, the golden parachute, which, unfortunately, too many people are familiar with and works differently for the wealthy than it does for the poor. Mm-hmm. Completely differently. Completely. Anytime you hear about a regular Joe Schmo declaring bankruptcy, they have to work and scrap and save and hustle for years mm-hmm. to get that off their record, to get back to a place where anyone will give them a loan again. And as we know, for certain folks that are in the public eye right now, it's happened multiple times and uh, doesn't seem to be any long lasting ramifications for uh, for doing this thing. It's almost more of like a, a business strategy. It depends. Yeah, it depends on how it is structured. And unfortunately, many people who are impoverished and fall into bankruptcy do not have the means or the connections to have someone help them set up these. I'm gesturing in the air right now because so much of this stuff is an idea. It's huge. It's huge. It is. Uh, And then there's another one, medical bills. This is also, we're at this point, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're just giving you the lay of the land of debt in the U S. So regardless 
of the political stance, regardless of what television channel is most often trying to convince you to believe something. The fact remains that for the vast majority of the of citizens, the United States has the most inefficient and expensive healthcare system in the developed world. This is not just a country where people die because a disease or a condition is incurable. This is a country where people die because uh, they cannot afford a treatment. And for some people, that is a great tragedy. For other people, that is uh, a result of the individual's decisions. And sure. that is how, it, is how it goes. But the reason we bring this up for the purposes of this show is because medical bills in this country are a leading cause of bankruptcy. Yep. They're a leading cause of people uh, going into crippling debt. And we have current debt issues, a lot of which are medically related. Yeah, when you look at the country overall and debts that are kind of hanging out, waiting for the national government to pay. The first one is Social Security. And we looked at the summary of the 2016 annual report by the Social Security and Medicare Board of Trustees, which sounds like a, a fun place to work. They they note that over the 80-year history of the Social Social Security program, it's collected roughly $19 trillion and paid out $16.1 trillion, leaving its asset reserves currently at 2.8 trillion at the end by the end of 2015. Now here's here's the problem. The ratio of reserves to one year's projected cost, it peaked in 2008 and then it's been declining uh, up until 2015 and ex- it's expected to decline even further until they're completely uh, depleted in 2034, which means this money that's supposed to go to uh, help families with retirement, people who have disabilities, um, you know, all, all kinds of issues, people that need this money to survive that we all pay into when you're a wage worker in the U.S. It's just going to be gone. And that's something that's just kind of looming there in the horizon that we have to think about. And the same goes for Medicare, which is, uh, you know, dwindling quickly. Mm-hmm. All these, all these huge, the the huge amounts of money that are owed essentially on paper to people who once they reach a certain age needs to be paid out. Right. Yeah. And the, one of the issues with this is that at various times, the money for both of those programs has been either controversially redistributed mm-hmm. or maybe misunderestimated is a good word. I'm misunderestimated. I like mm-hmm. that. But yeah, there, it's two serious issues that we're going to have to face at some point. And, and that group we just mentioned, they're saying that legislation needs to be enacted sooner than later to minimize the impact on beneficiaries, human beings who are going to need that money. So what's, uh, what, what's the international state of debt here? Well, according to nationaldebtclocks.org, Worldwide national debt stands at sixty trillion nine hundred and one billion three hundred and thirty two million and counting. That seems like a lot of money. It seems like mad money, made up money, 
imaginary money. It's a number that's too big to be real. I mean, that, <laughs> I, that sounds alarmist, but whenever I see this stuff on paper, I'm just like, this is, no one's ever expecting to get paid back all of this money. It's the debt itself is its own function, serves its own function, as we've talked about. It's its own financial instrument. Exactly. You know, and that it, it's fascinating to me. And I think for some people, that idea maybe makes them more willing to go into debt because it's sort of like, well, if if we're running a deficit as a country, why can't I run a little bit of a deficit? You why know? can't you I know? have some more cars? I should have the stuff. You know, it's I, I want to live the dream, mm-hmm. and it's easy to get credit. You don't have to have that much equity to get credit. You just have to have a decent paying job and not an absurdly low credit score. It's not hard. Well, in this case, we're talking about countries themselves. Oh, I know. I'm saying perspective yeah. wise, mm-hmm. I think th- when you see these kinds of numbers and you hear about how much, you know, the United States is in debt, et cetera, yeah. it almost makes you say, well, well, hell, you yeah. know what? Why not me? Who, who cares? Mm-hmm. Right. It doesn't seem like anyone's getting paid back. So why not just uh, roll the dice? Right. And to emphasize this perspective further, uh, let's break it down by the top owing countries in the world. Now it's time for another breakdown. Russia, 147.6 billion. Australia, 346.4 billion. Canada, 814.7 billion. United Kingdom, 2.3 trillion. China, 5.4 trillion. Japan, 8.9 trillion. United States, all together now, 19.3 trillion. What? 19.3. Oh, why did I do a fake air horn? I guess you could just put one in. What are you talking about? That was the best like <laughs> mouth air horn I've ever heard in my life, Ben. Thank you. I know I'm prone to hyperbole, but I really do believe that. <laughs> so that's a significant p- proportion of the overall global debt that the U.S. holds right there, which, you know, worries me a little bit. So how does that break down per person, Matt? Going oh, back to that oh, argument yeah. of perspective. Okay, so there are 323 million humans, roughly, in the United States right now, uh, citizens. And, you know, 19.3 trillion, that amounts to just under $60,000 of national debt per U.S. citizen, and it represents 107% of the country's gross domestic product year over year. So if somehow we could... Stop paying, stop all payments on everything in this country for a year. Uh, you know, we'd be able to pay off our national debt, which is kind of cool. Now, let's also emphasize that this is not the, this is not the same kind of debt that you might encounter if you have a student loan or, absolutely, instance, or this is not the same kind of debt you would encounter if you purchased, um, a moped. Sure, absolutely. And and all the numbers that we've discussed here in in our breakdown and the one about the uh, the $60,000 per person, these are very basic uh base level numbers. And if you get deeper down in the accounting, it gets it gets really tricky and I was trying to familiarize myself and understand it, but you guys, it's difficult. Right. Uh none of us are classically trained economists, uh and we would love to hear 
from any uh, economist in the audience. We'd love to hear your opinion on the state of debt. Fun fact, though, I am a classically trained violinist. It is true. That is awesome. You're a man of many talents. I have a little story for for us relating to the U.S. national debt. Okay. Would you like to hear it? Yeah, Come at me with it. All right. Okay. <laughs> there was, uh, there was, there some, was hesitation some hesitation there. there. Uh, all right. So the story comes from a guy named Jason Seligman. Jason Seligman, you see, was an economist. He's quite good at his job. Mm-hmm. So good, in fact, that he worked at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. Uh-oh. Or he worked, his boss lived there. He worked for the president. That's how good he was. And he was tortured at this time because he was thinking for 16 hours a day on this project he was working on for his boss, a report that he was going to write for his boss. And in that report, he ran into a realization that might stun a lot of people. And he wrote uh, with with his team a report called Life After Debt, which they submitted to then-President Bill Clinton and which journalists got a hold of years later through a Freedom of Information Act request. And Life After Debt is a report that you can read it for free online. It is a report that outlines what would happen if the U.S. paid down its debt to zero. And they wrote this in December of 2000 because that's the year the U.S. Treasury began actively buying back public debt, creating, um, you know, digging its way out of the financial hole it was in. But they realized... Jason realized eventually that while there is such a thing as too much debt for countries, there's also such a thing as too little debt. So Hmm. countries don't want to necessarily have a a surplus. In many cases, it's unreasonable outside of, you know, a few, a few countries like the, like Nordic countries, uh, maybe some oil, oil wealth countries. So what we see is that, the international level understanding of debt and the individual levels understanding of debt is different. Not all debt is created equally. Ah. Businesses will go into debt and have uh, specialized custom fit or bespoke plans for balancing that debt. However, someone who was built into a series of high-interest credit cards or student loans will often not have that sort of recourse. Here in this country, there are federal programs that are supposed to provide assistance for Mm -hmm. people who have the misfortune of not being a business or a country when they go into debt. However, much more money is spent by the folks who make money off of credit cards and student loans to make sure that system continues. And as of now, debt, what we've explained so far, yes, there is an inequality of debt. Not all debt is created equal. Not all people are in debt, but debt is a problem for a lot of individuals 
especially uh, here in the West. But the truth of the matter is debt makes the world go round. So we were asking ourselves a few weeks back, what would happen if we woke up one day and all of the debt disappeared? We'll find out right after a quick message from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. What kind of fun is waiting for you at King's Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at King's Island, you'll find, for the fun of it, kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun season. King's Island is now open on weekends. Here's where it gets crazy. All right, everyone, it's story time. Let's imagine a scenario where this actually happened, where, where... Through some act 
of massive uh, buffoonery. Sorcery? <laughs> it's not mm-hmm. buffoonery. Deus Ex Machina. <laughs> Something insane happened, and Mr. Noel Brown wakes up in a world free from debt. <sighs> I can hear how relaxed he is. Oh, exactly. Man, look at this world free from debt. Yeah, well, the great news is if he had any student loans, medical bills, oh, credit cards, a mortgage I to do. pay off, all of that. automatically he'd be in the clear for all those is debts. It gone? It's gone. Oh, what a time to be alive, guys. So, so what, what we do, of course, he would take some, uh, he would want to get, take some cash, get sure. on that first, uh, dream trip with, uh, his, you know, his honey, his squeeze, his girl, yeah, yeah, whomever. Yeah. And, uh, naturally they would go to, uh, Borneo. They would go to Borneo. Okay. And go to Borneo. But wait, there would be some problems here. Oh, to get the tickets to Borneo, Noel Brown has to buy them. And the debit card he tries to use to buy the ticket doesn't work because the bank that runs that debit card is in a tailspin because debt no longer exists and the dirty open secret about banks. I don't know if it's necessarily called dirty. It's just how they work mm-hmm. is that the money in Noel Brown's account was used to be a loan to someone else. Yeah. Rain Capital used it to invest in a, a small company in Atlanta or something like that. Yeah. And that's when, that's when Noel Brown has to explain to this woman that he loves that he was going to take in on a magical romantic getaway to Borneo, why they can't go to Borneo, and he gives her this following speech. Well, you see, as it turns out, most of the money in the world is really just someone else's debt. What? Yeah, the money in your bank account, my bank account our joint bank account, because we're in love, is mostly on loan to other people. Why? Yeah, the bank, they took our money and they used it to give someone else a car loan, to give someone else a home loan, to give someone else a loan to buy a sweet new computer. Oh. But wait, there's more. There's an upside here. For the banks. What? Yeah. They get to use some sneaky accounting, very tricksy accounting. And uh, by doing that, they don't have to hold everyone's money all of the time. It's it's sort of a game of, uh, you know, back and forth. It's being moved around all over the place. They just hold some of the money, and by some, we're talking a tiny fraction. So at the height of the financial crisis in 2007 many banks were actually leveraged at a ratio of 30 to 1. Ben, can you clarify that? Uh, yes. So in this scenario, I've I've showed up at Noel's house. <laughs> He's explaining to the love of his life. He can't go to Bordeaux. Well, no, we're at the airport. Oh, you're at the airport. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. All right, cool. Daily now, parking. Now I feel underdressed because I'm obviously in my jammies. But I only go to the airport in my jammies. Uh, I think that's the only time I've ever said the word jammies. All right. Rule of three. So to clarify, Noel Brown and his moving tragic speech will be telling this, this, uh, love of his life and whomever else is going to go with them that his bank account and all bank accounts are essentially emptied unless the bank magically replenishes the account. 
which would throw things into chaos, but, you know, is, is a series of keystrokes on a computer screen. At least we have the FDIC that insures uh, up to a certain amount, right? Right, right. Uh, but a bank no longer has a reason to exist as its sole purpose for in, from this perspective is to move debt around every stock exchange while Noel Brown is delivering this speech in Hartsfield Airport. I imagine you're in Hartsfield. Of course. Okay. Uh, it, every stock exchange closes. Noel's investment portfolio is wiped out. Uh, the puka shells he still has, but any puka shell futures, any, uh, puka shell short, uh, short stocks. Mm-hmm. I'm just making up words. Yeah. I'm, g- I'm going to need that Countach back. <laughs> Sorry. I hope you don't mind. Because an investment is just funding someone else's debt with the promise or the hope of getting more back in return, but no one will pay you back. And also, uh, Noel and his sweetie's retirement funds, they have one along with everybody else's, also, poof, vanish. There's a guy named Thomas Dalton who I think described this really well. Uh, what would happen if lenders wrote off all debts, he says, is that there would be a massive transfer of wealth from net lenders to net borrowers. The net lenders of the world are things like governments, right? Uh, and... Young adults are, we are often net borrowers and those close to retirement are often net lenders because pension funds invest by lending at least some of the money out. So what would happen if debt was erased would be a massive transfer of wealth from the old to the young and to governments. And Dalton also says we can make a mistake by thinking of this as a transfer of wealth from the rich to the poor, but it wouldn't work that way because the very poor don't usually have much debt. No one is willing to lend to them. It's only those with large incomes or assets or potential incomes that build up significant debt. So depending on what governments do now that they're freed from paying interest on their debts, they were never going to actually pay back the debt, so it's just the interest. The poor might benefit from extra government spending. However, it might be the rich that benefit from tax cuts. Pensioners and those who are getting to retirement age would have some serious difficulties. The super wealthy, says Dalton, may lose some money, but they usually invest in equity rather than debt. Uh, so since the companies they own often have a lot of debt, the share prices will probably increase enormously, assuming, of course, that the stock market would still be around, which is debatable. And then he said, in addition, institutional lenders would all be bankrupt. Banks, insurance companies, pension funds, the world economy would probably collapse. And to be honest, everyone would suffer. Erasing all debt, this that that's his quotation. In our opinion, erasing all debt is the nuclear weapon of economic warfare, which sounds kind of heady until we realize that economic warfare already exists today. It's occurred in the past. We've talked about it a little bit before with a guy named John Perkins, who wrote a book called Confessions of an Economic Hitman, in which he says he worked for an engineering company in Boston, and his job was to convince leaders of underdeveloped countries to accept development loans for construction and engineering projects and having a condition of those loans be that the projects went to U.S. companies mm-hmm. and these loans would later give the U.S. government influence and access to natural resources. And we have a quote from the book that we're going to read here. 
economic hitmen are highly paid professionals who cheat countries around the globe out of trillions of dollars. They funnel money from the World Bank, the U.S. Agency for International Development, and other foreign aid organizations into the coffers of huge corporations and the pockets of a few wealthy families who control the planet's natural resources. Their tools included fraudulent financial reports, rigged elections, payoffs, extortion, sex, and murder. They play a game that is old as empire, but one that has taken on a new and terrifying dimension during this time of globalization. And this is something we've explored before, uh, often referred to as resource extraction. Yeah. So that's one example of how economic warfare could work. And that would pale in comparison to the economic warfare of erasing all debt, regardless of the intention behind it. Mm-hmm. Erasing all that would be strange, but how, how could this, we're talking about the ideas, right? Yeah. And we've talked about the numbers of debt, but let's talk about how this could work. How could someone erase debt? Well, to do this, we look at some examples from pop culture because that's really the only place where this has been fully explored. Yeah. And there's some fun ones. And I mean, it's, it's like, <laughs> One of the ones that comes to mind um, that we haven't explicitly discussed together is the movie Escape from L.A., where oh, yeah. at the end they uh, – we are going to get into some spoiler territory here, y'all. So if we're mentioning a, uh, a movie or something and you don't want to know what happens, you should probably skip ahead maybe seven minutes or so. Or, you know, go back ten years and watch Escape from – well, LA. you know, it's it's on it's on the Netflix. <laughs> I think you can get it. Oh, uh, but awesome. it's, 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 at the end of Escape from L.A., there is a device that essentially shuts down all electricity, shuts mm-hmm. down even batteries. They make a point in it to say, like, oh, this will even like render all batteries useless. It's and, a dangerous device. You know, yeah. So this is sort of like a super extreme version where it's like an all-encompassing attack that mm-hmm. would not only get rid of all dead as we know it, but pretty much reduce you know humanity to back to the dark ages. We mm-hmm. have to you know start over. But a uh, real really good one that does specifically deal with um, actually targeting financial corporations is Fight Club, um, the yeah. 1999 David Ooh. Fincher film based on the novel by Chuck Palahniuk. Um, there are some pretty significant differences between the novel and the, and the film, but they do a pretty good job of having a very similar, uh, let's say, mission statement. Sure. So Ooh. in Ooh. Fight Club, um, there's the group of uh, these kind of overly, Project Mayhem. Yeah, Project Mayhem, that's right. Sort of a bunch of like uh depressed overly macho males. Middle-aged. That, uh, middle-aged, dudes. yeah. They want to fight back because they feel like they've been marginalized by society. They are angry. Um Honestly, their motivations are not particularly um positive. They're not really trying to help anybody. They just kind of want to watch the world burn a little bit. Um, in my opinion, that's that's what I take from it. But in order to do this, they stage an attack, what could reasonably be considered a terrorist attack mm-hmm. on um, the corporate headquarters of several large credit card companies. I think there are seven buildings that are destroyed during the end scene, which to me is such an iconic scene. And it's the first place I ever heard the Pixies uh, song Where Is My Oh Mind? yeah, that was and the I was first like, time. Who is this band? And then I, you know, was mm-hmm. down a rabbit hole from then on. And here um, we are. Here we are. So, um, I, even at the time, I always thought this was sort of a little bit of a rudimentary example of wiping out the debt be- because it's like, surely these things are backed up elsewhere. You know, not just in the building. And by blowing up a building alone, you're not 
wiping out the debt. It would require some sort of deep infiltration of an entire file system and structure and network, you right. know, getting much more into hacker territory. Um, before we get there, though, a little bit of an interesting factoid that Matt uh, turned me on to. Um, did you guys know that in the novel Fight Club, it takes place in Wilmington, Delaware? Do you guys remember? No, I have no idea. 1209 North Orange Street. Uh-huh. The Corporation Trust Center, the official address of over 285,000 companies. Oh, man. Wilmington, yep. Delaware. Um, there's a couple of little inklings in the film that it takes place there as well. <laughs> but I thought that was a pretty clever nod. And this, this address keeps popping up for us. We're going to have to yeah. do, I think we're going to have to do like a whole episode. Yeah. Just this address. Let's take a, let's, let's go there physically. Would you guys sure, want to yeah. do that? Field trip it. Uh, listeners, let us know if you, you would want us to go there. Maybe we can meet up to hang out. So like I said, I mean, I don't feel like this example holds up. This is more of sort of an anarchist kind of, like I said, watch the world burn kind of thing. But, um, we have, we have a really good example in, uh, our, our wonderful sponsors, as it turns out, Mr. Robot, um, the series involving a sort of anonymous-esque society of hackers mm-hmm. called F Society, who orchestrates a very high-level cyber attack against E-Corp, uh, which to me is, I think, a very clever stand-in for Enron, maybe, mm-hmm. or like any other giant corporation or financial Like financial Unilever or something. Sure. Um, and to me, this is, this is how you would, you would do this if you were going to attempt to do some kind of, uh, to orchestrate some kind of complete erasure of the debt record. It would have to be through infiltrating these systems, not just blowing up a building or one computer or one set of servers. Yeah. And they, and they do a, I guess it's a two pronged attack. There may even be more than that, that we just don't understand uh, as viewers in, you know, in the world of Mr. Robot, but they do it by using this thing called meterpreter which is a Metasploit backdoor. And the main character, Elliot, goes into the, the main servers of eCorp, installs a really simple uh, program, like an EXE file on their server, which then gives them an, an easy-to-access backdoor to these servers. So they can go in. It's crazy. It uses memory, so it's not actually writing anything to disk. It's just using the RAM on the on the machine to create this backdoor. I don't pretend to understand the hacking tools, but according to numerous people online who are actually in the infosec space and all this, they are saying that yes, this is this is real. You could do this and you could delete information if you had this kind of backdoor. Yeah, and like we've said about the show, I mean, it definitely gets a lot of this stuff right. Even like the uh, when you see the dude doing his uh, hacking, it looks like command line things instead of some sort of bizarro like 3D rendering of the internet as it would be if you were floating around yeah, oh, yeah. Like in hackers or something. Yeah, I was thinking of that uh, 90s film Hackers as well. Uh, so what would be hit in these things? Insurance companies, banks... Uh, insurance companies are bigger depositories of this kind of value than you might think. Um, there would also, of course, be government institutions. This would be stuff like this would have to involve treasuries as well as mints. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this would involve a simultaneous attack on thousands of things. It'd be very difficult to do. It also makes me wonder. Is a little off, but it also makes me wonder, 
if someone had that power, why stop at debt? Why not also erase repositories of personal information? Hmm. So like your medical info, uh, your, the metadata that, uh, the National Snooping Administration collects from you. Uh, the Facebook servers. Right. All of them. Yeah. Uh, and we talked a little bit about the attack strategies. I think when you mentioned the escape from LA scenario of effectively cutting off electronic stuff, right? What does this, what does this cloud money mean if we cannot access the cloud? Yeah, if you would have to kill electricity indefinitely in order to make that work, because there are, you know, all of these huge institutions like Iron Mountain that hold sensitive data sure, like this. Yeah, they've got like crazy generators and backup power and all this other well, stuff. Well, and not to mention they keep backups on like physical tapes and yeah, things right, like yeah. that. You know, like stuff that would stand the test of time in a vault. You mm-hmm. know, and they're constantly updating these things and backing up all their all their data. So yeah, it, absolutely. In the old days of my family, it was very different. Uh, there were things that would happen when somebody wanted to get wanted information to disappear. I mean, think about it. We live in a time where just less than, what, a hundred years ago, uh, even up to the 1970s, 1980s, if a uh right definitely 60s or so if a bank or a courthouse burned then there would be no evidence of debt or arrests or records there were people in my family who were not sure when they were born because oh, wow. yeah because someone burned a courthouse or two what yeah and uh this i mean but we no longer live in that world because there are multiple copies of these records, mm-hmm. which leads us to why it probably wouldn't work if we're talking about global debt records. Yeah. So in, in the world of Mr. Robot, it does work. Um, and that's because E-Corp, Evil Corp, owns roughly 70 percent of the consumer credit industry, which is a bit hard to fathom in our world. It means they would just own as subsidiaries let's say, uh, Capital One and mm-hmm. most of the Visa, uh, other companies that use Visa or MasterCard or any of those. I feel like in theory we have laws in place to prevent things like that from happening. Well, you know, hopefully it doesn't happen in the, the future for us. You know, but, it, but in our world, it's – and this is not debatable. These various industries from credit cards, mortgages, student loans, health insurance – all of these are controlled by hundreds and hundreds of separate competing companies, like you said earlier, Ben. And you would have to, I mean, you would have to strike at a huge number of locations in order to make this happen. Um, in fact, almost all the computers. Mm-hmm. Um, and okay, so let's say you were able to take out a single huge international credit card company. I'm just using Capital One. Sorry, Capital One. I'm just using it because I have your credit card. <laughs> um, it, it would be this tiny, Itsy bitsy little dent in the all encompassing global debt machine that exists all around Mm us. Right. And, uh, there are so many eyes watching this as well. There are multiple, multiple international state level and even local institutions that are tasked with doing this. But then there's another thing, which is, uh, many countries maintain a reserve of 
actual resources rather mm-hmm. than just currencies. So the U.S. has, you've probably heard, a strategic reserve of petrol. Mm-hmm. Uh, the U.S. has strategic reserves of uh, valuable metals, mm-hmm. right? And other countries do the same thing. And then we have other reserves of other people's currencies. So if you hit one country, then the currency that didn't get hit, that money will just become more valuable. Yeah. So think of these reserves as massive savings accounts. They fluctuate as spending is needed. Uh, in some countries, those reserves are uh, dwindling, these currency reserves, mm-hmm. right? So here's just a few examples. In some countries, these reserves are dwindling. They're getting low. According to the World Bank, the U.S. had $574 billion in total reserves in 2012. In 2015, the reserves fell below $107 billion. Um, but in other countries, these reserves are actually skyrocketing. In 2000, China held 172 billion. And that's in U.S. dollars. Correct. And in 2015, China's reserves jumped to a whopping 3.34 trillion. Yes, trillion. And there are numerous reasons behind this. Uh, yeah. Some have to do with the importance of one currency versus another. Yep. Or treasury bonds. Another has to do with trade versus currency or trade balance and overall strategies mm-hmm. of where you're, where you're going with your country. I, it's, it's a fascinating thing that I think, Ben, maybe we should look at in the future. Okay. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, and especially if this interests you, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we, we can cover it. There's the other, the other factor here that, Disaster recovery data backup. Something happens. Let's say there is an attempt. Well, uh, the Mr. Robot scenario, as they said before, makes a little more sense than the demolish the buildings plan in Fight mm-hmm. Club because they're targeting servers mm-hmm. uh, as well as backup data stores. And these things have started to become commonplace in the 1970s when people began to realize how, um, Matt, you described it best when you said insanely dependent we are, we as a species yes. become on computers and the data contained within those. So the strategies are redundancy plus offsite and cloud storage. Yep. The records of what is what and when exist in multiple places, uh, which is also strange because that kind of thing that not omnipresence, but I guess by location is one of the miracles sometimes attributed to saints. Yes. So going back to our earlier thing about myth- modern mythology in a way through robotics we're, or through electronics and computing, we are once again building the miracles of old, but in a very strange way. So, when we're looking at this, the question is, what is the stuff they don't want you to know? More immediately, who are they? Well, at this point, we can say we, we feel, we feel pretty secure saying that one of the problems with learning objectively about everything from individual finance to the financial food fight that is international relations, uh, and food fight being, you know, an allusion to the resources. Uh, the, what, what we're seeing is that it's tough to learn this because the people who can teach you have agendas. Ah. So 
you learned this firsthand, huh? <laughs> well, the pe- yeah, the people who can teach you will have agendas, and that you know naturally that can tie into almost anything that we learn. You know, somebody who is an Egyptologist is going to have a very different opinion about the importance of Egypt and civilization, right? Sure, but in this case, the stakes are high, and they're currency. Right. And I mean, of course, we're not denigrating Egypt, which is enormously influential. Oh, no, sure, sure. But, but, uh, but yeah, maybe archaeology is a bad comparison. I think that's, that's a great point, though. If you ask a, a, an economist from the U.S. versus an economist from China or an economist from Russia or Iran, mm-hmm. you're going to receive different answers and they're not necessarily the wrong answers from that economist. They're the, they're the answers that most benefit that perspective, sure. right? And this means that in our conversations, Noel, Matt and I may have different perspectives. It doesn't, it, this is a case where if we disagree, it doesn't mean one of us is wrong. Well, let's get down to it. I mean, at the end of the day, economics isn't an exact science. There are different schools of thought mm-hmm. that are deep rooted in older schools of thought, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, like you said, just because one person has a particular perspective doesn't necessarily mean they're wrong. And the true answer might be somewhere in between combining different perspectives. Mm-hmm. There's a lot I of mean, philosophy involved. There's a lot of philosophy. I involved. always use ideology. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, but sure, it's, it's sure. very, it's, sure. it's, it's not, I don't want to say that it's imprecise, I think that's that's short selling it just a little bit because I mean obviously there is a lot of detailed high level thinking that goes into this but it's much more like a theory you know than it is yeah a formula we also did not we also haven't looked at uh what would happen if a concentrated segment or type of debt were erased yeah. if just for instance just mortgage, how specific do we want to go, gents? Just mortgages on ranch style homes are just wiped out. Like, what would that, that would still have a ripple, less of an effect, but it would still happen. I'd be cool with that. I'll tell you it would have a ripple if, uh, you know, all loans for, uh, any kind of watercraft, you know, like a sailboat or a jet ski hey, eliminated. It would have many ripples. Yeah. Uh, I think wow. that was worth it. Wow. Yeah. So, worth it. Uh, so we, we've talked a little bit about the consequences, the, the, they, the stuff they don't want you to know for this episode, the stuff will be the state of economy debt in the world affecting individual debt and individual debt affecting the action of states. The and the existence of currency. What right. is it? Yeah, you know, is it just? Is it truly just an IOU? Is it simply a system of coupons that future historians will find uh, will put on the par of lost religions? Right. Wow. I mean, it's that's an extreme point of view, or that's an extreme way to phrase that question. But what do you think, ladies and gentlemen? We we spent some time on this one, so uh, we're going to head out of here, but we would like to hear from you. Any uh, stories you have that you think more people should know about debt, whether individual or international, what you think, if anything, could be changed to fix this, or is this perfect the way it is? Most importantly, do you think the world's debt should be erased, despite the 
frankly, certain and inevitable consequences. Because I, I'll say my personal perspective here, even if there were some kind of financial kill switch, a reset button that would take debt to zero, eventually debt would, a, a system of debt would evolve. Yeah. Puka shells. You are on the ground floor, my man. <laughs> so you can uh, let us know your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter. You can also follow us on Instagram. We're Conspiracy Stuff on Facebook and Twitter. We're Conspiracy Stuff Show yes. on Instagram. And, if you and that's the end of this classic episode. If you have any thoughts or questions about this episode, you can get into contact with us in a number of different ways. One of the best is to give us a call. Our number is one eight three three stdwytk If you don't want to do that, you can send us a good old-fashioned email. We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Attention, true crime enthusiasts. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. What kind of fun is waiting for you at Kings Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at Kings Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun season. Kings Island is now open on weekends.